Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Once again, to the Meat Grinder, your weekly dose of high school football in Connecticut. And happy Halloween! It was Thriller, Thriller Night at Pearson Park in Cromwell. At the top of the show where you heard the Panthers. They are still heavyweight and still undisputed after a ridiculously great game, 28-27 over rival Valley Regional Old Lime on senior night. Just an amazing game. You heard a little bit from Cromwell Portland. Cole Brisson, the field general, the quarterback. Brisson hearkening back to his days as a freshman quarterback, getting his first start and getting picked off five times. Finally, sweet redemption as a senior, going out, coming full circle with a big win on senior night. You also heard from the hero, senior back Johnny Beltre, who was left all alone on an island in the end zone, yet made the play of the year, batting away D'Angelo Jean-Pierre's two-point pass to seal the victory, he just looked at his eyes and saw what he was going to do. Batted it away, just an amazing uh, uh, job by him. And then, of course, you heard a little bit from Randall Bennett, the Cromwell Port, and this week's special guest star on the big victory that, that kept the Panthers unbeaten. And then finally, you heard from Valley Coach Hill Bunbley saying goodbye, farewell, but not for long. 
Ain't that the truth, Pete, in this sixth division state playoff mess. But uh, an eventful week. I saw a great game. You saw some pretty good games. Uh, just lots to talk about on this week. We're going into week nine. Oh, my goodness. Of high school crazy. Game. Crazy. I can't believe we're at week nine. It makes no sense. How did we get here so quickly? It happens every year, man. I know. I know. It happens like clockwork. Year. Yeah. Wild. <laughs> Um, you know, I, what can I say about this, uh, this Valley regional line? We're going to talk all about it with Randall Bennett, but, uh, you know, it was probably one of the most entertaining games I'd seen all year. Um, I, the most entertaining game I'd seen in week. I kind of had a little bit of everything. The stars were all out at Pearson park, Pete. You had Lori Riley from the Hartford current. You had Mike DeMar from the Dave new London. You had Paul Jerry, our guy doing the story for us. And then, uh, you know, and then it, and it just lived up to basically the, the hype of, of the game. Everyone did stories lead, on it leading into it. Valley Regional goes up big to start the uh, the game. D'Angelo Jean-Pierre, we did a story on him. An electric punt return that kind of staked them out to a 21-7 lead. And then in the second half, Cromwell Portland with two onside kicks recoveries back-to-back. You know, sure enough, they recovered both of those. And, and they held the ball, Pete, for all but three minutes in the second half. They're trying Who are they, to- North Haven? <laughs> it was amazing. It was it was that type of offense. Uh, you know, like we said, Brisson just was just it, the amount of concentration and patience you have to do, and to and then to convert all those third downs. I don't know what the final number ended up being, but it was a ridiculous amount. And the only thing that kind of stopped them was just a fumble. You know, they just had the ball for so long. Eventually, something's going to happen. It's too good a team. And sure enough, D'Angelo John Pierre on cue just zip, zip, zip down the field. Jacob Rand. And it's now it's 28-27, and, and everyone's just stunned. You know, that's why Cromwell held the ball this long. And uh, sure enough, Johnny Beltray with this is the play of the game in the end zone. And uh, hey, listen, Cromwell Portland has now won, geez, how many games in a row now? It's 13, that's uh, what, 20 games in a row? Uh, since uh, including a Class S championship. Uh, just an amazing job by Randall Bennett and his staff. And uh, listen, Valley, you know, like, like, like Coach uh, Bunley said, uh, they, they they could see each other again in that class the less playoff spot. So uh, just a great, just a great game on Friday night. Certainly, uh, I've seen. I believe it's twenty one in a row. Twenty one now. Huh? I don't want something because they won. They won their final game of the year in twenty nineteen. Did they? Yep. Oh, okay. All right. Well, so I yeah, Brisson, uh, Brisson's freshman year, which he alluded to in the interview. Um. I believe yes, I'm correct. They beat Rocky Hill twenty to fourteen to finish okay. that season. Then they went thirteen and zero last year, and they're seven and zero now. Yeah. Well, again, they're they're one of the top programs, small school programs or small schools programs, I should say, um, in the state, and uh, certainly a contender in Class Double S. I mean, you know, we saw over down uh, over across the way, you know, uh, Barlow getting beat, but against Newtown, so they're still really good. And then obviously Wyndham is in there in there as well. So, so that'll be really interesting to see where this goes and see what how Valley responds to this. But uh, Pete, um, you know, let's just jump right into the top ten. That's the big news this week. You know, we'll we'll talk about all that game in a, in a second. But uh, the the poll just dropped right before we jumped on it to record the podcast. And surprise, surprise, take a look at this. We have yet another one versus two matches. Number one Southington versus number two Maloney. Southington beat Glastonbury last week, 26, 27 to six. Maloney shut out Connor 32-0. The voters just bumped everybody up now that New Canaan lost to St. Joseph. And we have our first number one versus two since last year, Darian St. Joseph. And in fact, it is the third straight season we've had a one versus two matchup. 
Um, that does not include, obviously, 2020. So 2019 in the Class L final. You all remember that. St. Joseph was number two, beat number one hand. And then last year, Darian was number one. Or were they number one? Yeah, they were. Yeah, Darian yeah. was number one, 42 to 14 over St. Joseph. Um, and uh, and here we are. Maloney beat Darian. Southington beat number one Greenwich. You know what? I didn't quite vote Maloney that way, uh, Pete, but I can't quibble with it. I think that's a fine. I think this is I think this is about right. Yeah, I mean, I called it. Uh, I think it was Friday night when we were I was driving home from New Canaan. I think I slacked you and Mike Fornabio and I said, let's start preparing for potential one verse two, because kind of the way the chips fell, the way the voters vote, um, I don't vote. You know, Maloney's not my number two team in the ballot, um, but I kind of saw the writing on the wall that they're both undefeated. Uh, you know, this one's a defending champion, one beat Greenwich. Um, it's probably going to be how the vote is going. Here they are. I mean, last year when they played, it was the first time in the regular season they had played in a long time. Southington won 13 to seven in what I will always say is one of the ugliest games I've ever covered in my entire life. First game back after the year off. I mean, there were so many penalties. It was just a disaster of a football game. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is huge. I already, I emailed uh, the Maloney AD, the games at Falcon Field and Maloney and parking is not very good there. So I messaged him. I'm like, hey, I'm going to be there. Uh, just letting you know, because you're probably going to get a lot of emails. So as soon as I saw the poll, I emailed him. I was like, I'm just letting you know I'm going to go. So you know, just make sure you put me on that parking list because it's going to be a madhouse at, at Falcon Field. And then now Maloney, geez, 19 straight wins. Uh, oh. I think Southern has only won, lost how many times since then? I think two, twice? Uh, they lost to Hall. They lost to Connard. And then uh, I believe they lost in the playoffs. Yes. Um, well, they didn't win at State last year. So. No, I know, but they made the playoffs at eight and two and didn't make uh, and lost. So they lost three times since then. But, you know, this is a really interesting matchup, right? We got Maloney, a defending champion with all new faces across the field, uh, minus, you know, Jojo Gonzalez, who Kevin Frederick talked about at length on this show, you know, one of the top players for the Spartans. Uh, and then, you know, Southington on the other side, Cardillo is having an unbelievable season. I mean, I just, they send in their stats every week and I, I look at his overall totals and they get crazier and crazier each week. The Benedetto's playing great at quarterback. They are down Evan Anderson. Uh, we talked about he is out for the year. Um, I, I've said this. Uh, I think I don't know if I've said this on the show. Southington is good. They are probably the most complete team that I've seen on all three phases of the game. Um, Car uh, Cardillo also kicks. Um, but, you know, the, tw the two times I've seen them, very complete team. Uh, they don't make super big mistakes or they don't make a lot of mistakes. Um, Maloney comes in. I mean, Maloney, they're the number two team. You tell them that they still, you know, yeah, they're going to say, well, we're the underdogs. Yeah, technically they're one year two. Um, you can view yourselves as the underdogs and they use that to their advantage and they use it well. I mean, when we post the games to pick this week in the pickums, you know, a lot of people are probably going to pick Southington and I bet I'll bet anybody, anything Kevin's going to print it out Thursday morning, slap it. Yeah. on the board in the Maloney locker room and say, see, we're still the underdogs. Yeah. So no matter what their ranking is, Maloney will use this as kind of fuel 
I, I, I'm excited. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go get my Kayla May steamed cheeseburger before. The Greenwich football team tweeted at me. They'll be in attendance. They play Saturday. So I said, hey, go to Ted's or uh, Kate, uh, Kayla May's to try some of the Meriden cuisine. Um, but, uh, yeah, I have think a taste it's going to Go to one and then have half the team go to one and have to. <laughs> but I, I think there's going to be a lot of people there. I think this is a this is a huge game, and uh, I think it's one we saw coming that they would both be undefeated. Once Maloney beat Darianne and Southern can beat Greenwich that the same weekend, I think we all looked at this like, hey, they're going to be seven and zero. I didn't think they'd be one two, but here we are. Fair enough. I mean, I, I would I put I put St. Joe over them. I put uh, over over Maloney. I put uh, Greenwich over them. Uh, I think you can even put West Haven going over them. I know so a lot I. of West Haven kids. Or sit there going like, well, did we beat Maloney? Yeah, you did. Uh, they beat him up Didn't in the count. preseason, though, so it doesn't count. You know, count. you know who knows? We, we're not, you know, Ansonia used to do that with West Haven all the time. Oh, we beat West Haven, so we should be number one. Yeah, you beat him in a preseason game. But um, if you look at the, the the history of the number two versus number one, I mean, you know, Kevin's not wrong to sit there and say he's still the underdog because if you really look at it, there have only been a handful of teams that have been involved in these. These are all top programs, and Southington is right there, one of them. If anybody in the northern part of the state is involved in it. It's only Southington. You want to throw Xavier in there, the two times that they were in the number one versus they were the number two team both times, actually. Number uh, number two in 2005 when they beat Southington with Amari Spivay. They beat uh, Kelleher and those guys. It was Spivay who's been in the who went to the NFL. Um, and then you had Xavier uh, starting off the season in 2010, beginning their dominant run of three state championships. They beat Notre Dame the previous year's number one. Um, and that year's preseason number one. Um, and then uh, then it was after that, it was Darianne, Darianne, Darianne. And then they had the St. Joseph game. But there was the famous one that Southington was involved in was 2015 when he had, we've mentioned this many times, when he had Mark Ivanchik chasing, you know, Jason Rose all around, ending Southington's run of two state championships. Um, you know, you think of all the great players that have been in these games in recent years. I mean, let's let's start off because we talked about Spivay. Um, you know, then there's like... Uh, Graham, Graham Stewart uh, from Xavier, the great linebacker, played in Florida for a little bit, came back and played it for UConn. Some great players there. Uh, you know, 2015, obviously, Ivanchek, you know, Jason Rose in, in that game. Uh, Jamelli, Alex Jamelli, too. Alex Jamelli. Uh, how can I forget? Well, actually, was he? I think he was gone by then, 2015. I think Jamelli was gone. That was a big part of it. Jamelli was, had been graduated because he played in 13, played in 14. In that, in that, uh, okay. last year. So Jamelli definitely not. But 2016, Drew Pine, New Canaan. Uh, playing against Darianne in that great game, you had all the stars in Darianne, but I guess and and Jack Stewart and Jack Connolly, both Boston College, Michigan, UConn. Yeah, absolutely, stars abound. Uh, shout out for Drew Pine and Notre Dame beating my orange on Saturday. Ugh. Hell, <laughs> hell to your Notre Dame. Anyway, finally, you know, twenty twenty one. Let's look back there. I mean, St. Joseph loaded, and obviously Jaden Sheridan. Twenty nineteen. Yep. Uh, yeah, twenty or twenty nineteen. Excuse me. In the Class L championship, Jaden Sheridan, who you know is the state of state country's leading rusher right now, uh, Monmouth, which is ridiculous. Uh, you know, shout out to Jaden, uh, just an amazing job by him. And he was, you know, the MVP of that game for sure, you know, putting hand away and giving St. Joseph the number one trophy. And then obviously last year, you know, coming back off the pandemic and then Darian just basically pushing St. Joe's side. A lot of people like St. Joe's at number one and there they were, and they took, took care of them on, on their way to the state championship. So a lot, lots of history in this game. So it should be really fascinating. Not sure if I'm going to be there yet. Uh, I've been to all these games except the 2005 Xavier Southington game. I think I was at over at Trump. Come with me. We'll carpool and uh, we'll, we'll go see. to Kayla Mays. We'll see. We'll see. 
you know, it might be some other teams need a little bit of coverage too. It can't have to all be just this, but, uh, but you know, I've been to all these games, 2010, 15, 16, 19, 21. Yes. I remember 2019. You had to go to that game yeah. and, and you were like, you know, Pete, you go to Trumbull high school for the championships. Nothing crazy is going to happen yeah. over there. <laughs> Uh, I didn't think St. Joseph. I'm sorry. I didn't think Newtown was going to win that game like the way they did and the f- anniversary of Sandy Hook. My goodness. Uh, but hey, we're glad you uh, you got to that little piece of history. Um, but so again, this is uh, always lots of history in these. So we'll see how the guys in this game, uh, you know, will be remembered going forward. But uh, obviously, big. They're in two different divisions, which is a shame. But uh, I mean, maybe Maloney would have been in L anyway. Um, so, but, uh, interesting It's very interesting. It has going to have a bearing on who's going to be number one at the end of the year, obviously, um, going to the rest of the poll, you know, most of the teams won. The big one obviously was number, I think they were number six at the time. St. Joseph beating number two, new Canaan, knocking them out. I was over at, at Valley Cromwell, Portland, and I got this Pete, I got this text from Pete saying new Canaan's defense is legit. Now, what I had done was I went off on the podcast saying, I don't know if they're that good. They haven't played anybody. And Pete's kind of sticking the knife in a little bit there. But obviously, St. Joseph, as we said, as I said last week, St. Joseph's got the better defense. They're the truth. Pete, you were there. What happened to the Rams? New Canaan's defense is legit. Stand by it. They swarm tackle. They were all over the place. And New Canaan's biggest flaw in that game was their offense. Their offense could not get anything going against St. Joe's. St. Joe's defense, awesome. Like, not taking anything away from the Hogs defense. They played great. Jack Kill Martin was basically playing on one leg. I mean, he was had a great day. St. Joe's defense was great. But New Caney scored on a pick six right at the opener. I think it was like their fourth defensive touchdown in two weeks. And you're like, oh, is St. Joe's offense going to be able to do something? They got in. They got, you know, down to get points. Got stopped, walked away with two field goals in the first half, 7-6. And you're like, can St. Joe's break through? And right at the beginning of the second half kickoff, I'm standing on the sideline, and Joe Delvecchia come, comes up to me, crosses his arms, puts his hand on his chin, says, we got we got to get one. Like, we got to get one. And, I, you know, me, I'm the big, you know, pump-up guy. I'm like, Coach, you know, you guys are right there. Like, like I, I think you guys will get one. Pete setting second him up for or, the big foot. Pete setting him up for a fall later on. <laughs> second, uh, second or third play of the second half. Groff throws an interception. Uh, Fahey, Connor Fahey, who couldn't catch a cold at the beginning of the year with an interception, takes it all the way down to the one. Riley Jordan goes in two, two, three plays later. But St. Joe's is up. Um, you know, New Canaan was able to score on like a weird 40, 45, 49 yard touchdown kind of broken play. That was it, though. St. Joe's defense locked down. I think they had three interceptions, uh, had a fumble recovery, and St. Joe's turned them into points. I mean, St. Joe's was such a well-coached team. They did, you know, they they took advantage of the opportunities uh, ahead of them. You know, Lou Marinelli, the New Caney coach, said it to Mike Farnabio after the game. Like, there was some inexperience on that offense, and, and it showed. But I don't want anyone to take anything away from the New Caney defense. They were awesome. They were just on the field a lot. And St. Joe's made to pay. I mean, look, Riley Jordan. Yeah. I think this is like the second or third week in a row we've talked about him. We didn't Back really talk about him at the beginning Riley of the year. Jordan. He, he, I got one video. Make sure you put it in the live action. He runs angry to seal the game to the, the last touchdown to go 20 up 27 14. He runs, he flips one new candy defender over his shoulder, like, get out of here. And then 
One kid just ready to tackle him. He just lowers his head and pushes him five yards into the end zone. I mean, he was running angry. And he, like, New Canaan's defense, obviously, they were tired. They were getting kind of beat up. But they held strong. And then Riley just punched him in the mouth, punched him in the mouth, punched him in the mouth, punched him in the mouth. I mean, it was an awesome game. It was, I'm so glad we, we called that audible on Friday. Yeah, we, we were going to go opposites. We, in fact, actually, I was going to go see North, uh, North Haven Cheshire. That was the plan. Actually, the plan was you go to North Haven Cheshire. Yep. I would and go you were going to go to Valley. No, you were yeah. going to go to Valley. And then you were like, wait, we're not at New Canaan St. Joe's. And then you were like, all right, I'll go there and this. And then we just flipped. <laughs> then we flipped it. And I was going to, you know, I wanted to see, we talked to Sagnell last week. I wanted to see North Haven. I still want to see North Haven. Yeah, I was like, we don't even have any footage of his team this year or last year uh, to use on the live action podcast. You know, we didn't see Cheshire either. We didn't get any good videos of them. So, but then, you know, I, I don't know what happened. I was just like, I gotta, I gotta stay. It's just the way the game was set, shaping up, and the fact that tomorrow and Lori's there, and you know, Jerry and you know, Jerry's like, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go to Cheshire, and he's like, are you really? And I'm like, uh, maybe not. It's only half hour away. I'm like, ah. Uh. Then I texted you guys, you know, I'm going to stick around for this Crumble Portland game. I think it's going to be good. And sure enough, man, my faith rewarded. Yep. Just to wrap up the top 10 feet, uh, number seven, we have five St. Joseph, number six, New Canaan now. Seven is Hamden, beat up on Brantford 27. They'll we'll be talking plenty of Hamden next week when they play, when they get ready to play West Haven. You have number eight, Ansonia, beat up on Oxford. Number nine, North Haven, smothering Chester's offense. Uh, doing just enough on on their offense, ten to ten to zero, and then finally Staples, hooray! Took care of who they played, Norwalk. They took care of the Norwalk and cracked the top ten. Four welcome weeks back. late. Yeah, welcome back, Adam Barons and the and uh, Tyler Clark and the and the and the Wreckers. Welcome to the top ten. Yeah, four weeks late, but you're finally made it. The the voters this year seem a little late on everything. Killingly, though, sitting there still at 11 ahead of Wyndham, which I, I, guys, I don't get it. I don't get it. But I'm glad Staples is finally in your top 10, uh, number 10 feet. Yeah, it's nice to see. I mean, I've been voting them, I think, seven or eight the last, like, four weeks since they beat Trumbull. And I'm like, how is nobody voting for this team? How? How? But uh, it took them beating Norwalk, who's obviously having a tough year and is struggling. It took it took a forty nine point win over Norwalk for for them to uh, be like, hey, maybe this team should be a top ten team. And then you even look like down, like Killingly, still ahead of Wyndham. I roll Berlin seven and zero. They're getting votes. Berlin, uh, they're not going to play anyone down this stretch. Berlin's going to be ten and zero at the end of the year. Uh, maybe nine one and game, one, one depends game. on Middletown. Yeah. Uh, Cromwell, Portland, 7-0. Newtown, 6-1. Newtown lost their opener to Greenwich. Yeah. And they've done nothing but win Yeah, since. I put them up on my poll this week, yeah. I put them up on mine. Yeah, Fairfield job, Prep, 4-3. On, uh, on, on Friday night, too. Yeah. I mean, Prep, 4-3. Holy Cross, 6-1, like, getting some love. Shelton at 4-3. Cheshire, 5-2. Trumbull. You know, you just kind of look at it and you go, man, some of these teams play really tough schedules, and it's really hard to expect them to win all of them. Um, but, I think we were a little late on on Shelton. Shelton didn't do enough for us. I don't know why they were doing there last week after losing to West Ham. But hey, they got a lot of respect there, Shelton. But Shelton's got a lot of work to do. We'll talk about all the playoff possibilities in a little bit. But first, we got to jump to our guest this week and talk a little Cromwell, Portland, Valley Regional, and uh, and talk about the Panthers with our guest Rendell Bennett. 
Joining us on the show is, of course, the aforementioned head football coach of the Cromwell Portland Panthers. It is Randell Bennett, the man, the myth, the legend. Welcome to the Meek Rider. We had a little audio problems here. We're ready to go. How you doing? That's a nice office, your, uh, your AD there. We thought it was yours at first, but it looks primo either way. You win a big game, man. You get the big guy's office, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, nah, man, yeah, it's uh, it's awesome times right now in Cromwell and Portland. You know, we guys did some community service uh, in the morning yesterday, helping people carry groceries to their cars. So it was good to get out there and see some people after the big win and, you know, let the guys get those, uh, those good praises. Yeah, is yeah. there, like, local, like, you know, kind of obviously it's a co-op, it's two different towns, but how is there, is there like a lot of community support? Uh, 1000%. I mean, between like, you know, us being visible at the youth games and, you know, I think now we're getting back to a time in our program where there's a lot of younger brothers coming up again. You know what I mean? We had a, a stretch where it was like, we don't have any legacy guys anymore. And now, you know, a Mecca's, younger brothers a freshman for us right now so these families kind of getting to go through the program is like a a good thing because it's like okay now you kind of know what it is you you understand the expectations when you're coming here and it allows us to keep moving forward you know building on what we've done already what uh i mean you're a Cromwell guy you grew up in town right you played on like yep, the first yep, since 98 yeah, I mean, you play. Tell, get, take us back a little bit. That way, everyone doesn't know. Randell, you know, he was on uh, the first. You were on the first team, right? And the first uh, team that right. went to the finals. It didn't take very long uh, for coach to get you guys there. Right. But tell us about how this program came to be, uh, and you know how far it's come over the last twenty years. I mean, it was really just like a lot of guys were still playing youth in high school at the time. I was way too big to play, so I stopped playing youth in sixth grade. And I was kind of lost without football. You know, I was trying out basketball, but I was, you know, a 6'2 center, right? <laughs> Not much going there. And then How uh, old were you at my freshman year, oh. <laughs> uh, I was uh, a freshman, definitely a freshman. I was 6'2", 230. We didn't, we didn't have football, man. <laughs> I was just was out here wandering, with I guess. With the height restrictions, right? Yeah, the weight restrictions was like 170. I had been past that, <laughs> you know, so I couldn't play in seventh grade, you know, eighth grade, ninth grade, and then they hired Coach Morello. The parents here, actually, you know, the Board of Ed, uh, we had to raise 30 grand, you know, so guys were doing car washes and going door to door with, you know, Cromwell football stickers, you know, handing them out, for, taking donations and giving people a sticker, you know, and just like the people in town just really kind of came together to, you know, get us a football team. And you know, from there, it was the rest was history. Man, Coach Morello, he just really taught us about culture, taught us about a team, taught us about accountability. And that just kind of carried us through. I mean, you got Chris Lorenzi. He's the linebackers coach at uh, URI right now. You know, he was in my class. You know, I, I remember the early days in weight room. You know, we didn't have a weight room here. We would go to Wow Fitness, and me and Chris and Coach Morello would just – he would have us lifting, doing squats and doing bench, and it would just be us three in the gym. And, like, that's kind of how the program got started. And then recruiting in the hallways, and from there it just – it blossomed. A lot of younger brothers came in, 
and yeah, we just we made it. Not, I I think the the story is crazier because there were so many good teams at the time. You know, I say back then, every public school had a Division One kid. Yeah. You know, so we would go to Southington's seven on seven in the summer before my senior year, and you know, Bloomfield had you know Corey Sheets, you know Darnell Delaire. You know, they had all these guys. Yeah. And you know. I mean, Platt had Mike Shorter. He went to Fordham. I mean, I remember vividly being like, we want to compete with these guys, right? A lot of these guys you know, you see around, and then it's like, you know, we would just exhaust all avenues to try and beat these guys in 707. Well, well I have and a quick question. I remember. I have a quick question. Go, right. uh, where did kids go to play football before Cromwell had a program? They were playing youth still. So a lot of guys were like, ninth grade some of the older lighters were still sophomores still playing youth they didn't, you know? they didn't so they didn't have a high school team though so if you were even nope. higher than you had nowhere to go is that right or did, could you go somewhere else right could not well i mean middletown has boag and you know yeah. what i mean there's xavier but those weren't really you know options you know my my mother is a single parent you know two jobs like when we were going to public school Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. But so, so you guys, uh, you said that there are a lot of guys you, you were, you you know, were walking around. You, you saw them at all the youth were the, the off season stuff. And you're like, this, you were kind of motivated by them, huh? Yeah. Yeah. The, those those seven on seven days, man. I mean, it was just we would spend a lot of our time together in the summer. I remember uh, our biggest holiday was when NCAA football would come out. You know, we would spend yeah. a lot of time at somebody's house, you know, <laughs> while they were at work playing the game. And, uh, you know, from there, it would just be like, man, we're going to 707. And I was going to 707. I didn't play a lick, but I had to be there. You know what I mean? And, yeah, I mean, Aaron Hernandez, we, we play all these guys, DJ Hernandez, you know, the tournament, like, you know, you're seeing all these guys and then we all go to college and then it's like you're watching all these guys playing, you know what I'm saying, on TV. I'm sitting, I remember sitting in the hotel room my my senior year in college and, you know, I'm watching Corey Sheets on one channel, flip the channel, App State's beating Michigan. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. these memories are ingrained. It was like I, I wanted to be a part of this so bad, you know what I mean? Like, and for these opportunities to come from, you know, people in town just wanting to have football here, you know, it's like almost like I got to pay it forward now. So it didn't take you were you played in a state championship game. If I remember that was what, 2002, three, three. Yeah. Oh, we three. have this, we have this awesome photo of you coach from your playing days. <laughs> you guys beat immaculate and you're like standing seven feet taller than everyone else with your hands up. I think I sent right. it to you last year, yeah. but it's yeah. a great photo. <laughs> Yeah, that I, that was the coldest game, you know. It was like 28, and the wind chill had it down to like 13 or something. Now I walked into the locker room that day, our little shed locker room back then. The, we're still in it now, but uh, I look at one of my teammates, and I'm like, no sleeves tonight. So I wore a t-shirt under my jersey, and you drink water, it would freeze right on your jersey if it fell on your jersey. I mean, it was freezing that night. Oh, yeah, I remember that night. That was I was at uh, West Haven NFA, I believe it was that. Or maybe it was Danbury. I don't remember which one. No, I think it was Danbury. Uh, they and then they mm. they played the winner. They played the 
uh, the uh, New Britain in the next round, but it was freezing. It was it was or was it that no right. no nah, nah, it was free it was freezing. It was New Britain was pretty good back oh, then yeah. too. You know, we used to he, Coach Miller used to have us doing work with them as well. You know what I mean? And that's kind of where I got the idea that you got to play some bigger teams to kind of get yourself ready. You know. What led you back? I mean, you go to college, you play in college. Uh, what, you know, which, right. where'd you play? I played, I played at Valley Forge uh, right. Military College. It's a junior college in uh, Wayne, Pennsylvania, where, uh, you know, another legend, Jim Burner. Oh, yeah. Um, and then he got me a, a scholarship to go to Grambling. And, That's right. man, you want to talk about culture shock, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, yeah. So, I, I just remember, you know, just not really believing some of the things that were happening to me at that time. Um, just like, you know, you go on the road and then like the Boston Celtics walk into your hotel and you know what I mean? Like James Posey and all these guys, like we're down in Houston. I didn't expect to turn around and see, you know, James Posey and you know, Michael Finley was there. We'd just see a bunch of guys. And I was like, man, football can do so many great things for you, man. Open this world up to you. When I got there, uh, Melvin Spears was the head coach. Doug Williams had just left probably the year before I got there. He okay, took a job right. at the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, I mean, he's still super visible in the program. You know, he'd just pop into practice sometimes. Um, but I played for uh, Melvin Spears my first year, and then my second year, uh, Rod Broadway was the head coach. I mean, Rod Broadway uh, just – taught us so much about the game. Not that we didn't learn a lot from Coach Spears, but, you know, how a team should be run, how a team should work. I mean, this is a guy that, you know, he played at the University of North Carolina. His teammates were Lawrence Taylor, right? So when he starts talking about B-line play, you're like, all right, I better listen. You know, even as an offensive lineman, I'm, I'm trying to find out the tricks of the trade so I can beat it, right? You know, but, I mean – yeah, just, you know, playing with so many guys, seeing guys that were ready to play there as a freshman, you know what I mean, at that level, when it was taking me time to adjust, you know what I mean, really made me come, when I came back, it was like, okay, we have to do it this way, or else we're never going to, you know what I mean, it took me a year, a solid year before I was able to, like, consistently contribute, you know what I mean, and it was still, like, I still had work to do, but you know, when I first walked in, I mean, I tell the story all the time. And David Hicks, he was a linebacker for us. And he he ended up on the Chiefs the next year. And we were in a two-minute drill. And, yeah, that first day he looked at me. He said, now it's your turn to get it, freshman. And he just ran right by me, man. I, <laughs> I was like, i never seen anybody like that. I said, he runs a 4-4 four -four at 240? Like, all right. His, yeah, his son is the number one D tackle in Texas right now. Wow. Committed to Texas A&M. So, yeah, man. You, so it, you brushed it's up. It's amazing what you can learn about the game. You brushed up with all. I mean, yep. that's the thing. You go out to maybe, you know, you get out of your cult, get out of your bubble, right? You go to a school right. like a Grambling or, or wherever, and it's just amazing how much of the world opens up the different type of characters out there who could teach you a thing right. or two about, you know, I went to Syracuse, same deal, you know, like, and I covered some of those great Syracuse teams. And it was just, I would travel around the country and just see all, all these other other reporters out there. And I would learn from them. So you 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 got a, something that was just invaluable. You took that home, right? You took all that stuff. Right. Well, how, how did you end up back 
at Cromwell? Like, what what led you back here? And you know, did you have designs on being a head coach when you when you you were how early? And uh, what led you back? I I mean I I think because after I finished playing uh, at Grambling, I had a little opportunity in the NFL. Uh, True be told, I don't think I was really prepared. You know what I mean? My own doing. You know what I'm saying? Just because I didn't know any better. You know, you're 21. You're trying to go through this business. If you don't have that, you know, bubble, you know what I mean? That, you know, some of my teammates said I came back to Connecticut to train and I was just homesick. You know what I mean? But I came back to train and it was like, you know, it's hard to do it when you're the only one that's training for this thing. Right. So uh, I end up getting a couple offers to play in like arena leagues. And I just like just chase that as much as I could because I was still learning so much about playing the game. I mean, my rookie year in arena, I was playing for the Harrisburg Stampede. And, you know, I mean, we had two D linemen from Clemson. We had an O lineman from Iowa. We had DBs from NC State, Ole Miss. And these guys were like, yeah, the NC State guy, yeah, he played with Russell Wilson, right? Like there was just all these guys and all these stories you're hearing about guys and it was just like, man, I was just learning so much and doing so much and getting connected. And when I finally felt like my playing days were over, I moved back home and I was uh, I was just on Twitter. I used to go work out at uh, the practice field and Coach Eckert reached out to me and was asking me if I wanted to volunteer. And I, I said, why not? And I just came on and I started to see a bunch of guys that reminded me of myself. And from there, it was just like, if I was this, you know, 6'4", you know, 290-pound kid, you know, at Cromwell, and Coach Boards used to tell me all the time, I'm not saying you're going to play at Florida or Tennessee. You know, he used to send me down and say this. He said, but you got the size. You can go somewhere. And, like, just, you know, people planting that seed in my head, it was like, how could I look at some of these kids and not give them the same advice, not give them the same, you know, knowledge that I have to, you know, try and make this possible for yourself. If you love the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because this game was just, just amazing. I love I love arena football. I grew up going to New York Dragons games. Like <laughs> That's so that cool. I, I, I've never – right. Yeah. I, I played in Kansas City uh, for the KC Command. That was one of, uh, like, my second stop. I went all the way out there. I played in Omaha for the beef for a little bit. I ultimately came back to Harrisburg to play and we won a championship uh in 2012 2012 or 2013 you know i think that kind of fulfilled me you know i, I lost to ansonia in 03 and then in 07 you know at grambling we lost to jackson state in the uh swag championship yeah and i was like i need to win one man <laughs> i can't hang it up without winning one you know so when i got back it was just like I started as an unpaid volunteer um, in my first year. And then that next year, you know, Chris, uh, he kind of, Chris Ecker, he kind of said, well, you, uh, you got to take the JV job. I did it for three years. And it was awesome because Bryce Carsetter comes in the next year and I kind of got to be his coach. You know, same things I'm doing with Cole now, call your own plays in the JV game. I want to know what you're seeing so I can coach you up. And then you know Chris steps down and I take over and Bryce has two years left and it was just a remarkable run. It was love to see it. Uh, I, I'm going to see him play at uh, versus Endicott 
you know, Kevin Hinkle and Ismar Kanbig, two of our other guys, they're going to play against each other in their last regular season game uh, on November 12th. So it's it's pretty cool to get to see, like, these guys and they're doing internships and their life is getting started. They got facial hair now. <laughs> like, man, I watch you guys grow up. When did you decide that like, I'm going to be like, I know, like he put you in there as, as head JV coach. Uh, but now, I mean, he steps down and then you're like, no, I'm going to be the coach now. Or did you decide long before that you want to be the coach? He, he, he asked me one time, he said, uh, he said, what do you think about being a head coach? Like, do you want to be a head coach? And I told him, I was like, if I'm going to be a head coach, I think I would only be a head coach here. Hmm. You know, not that I'm trying to push you out, but you know, I'm comfortable, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm comfortable, you know, just sitting here underneath you learning as much as I can. And I learned a lot from those guys, you know, the, the onside kicks that we do, you know, Chris had this idea. He was like, we kick it off and, uh, you know, guys usually return it to about the 40 yard line on us. So he said, why don't we just onside kick it every time? And then what's the worst? They get it at the 50. That's eight more yards. I was like, he might be on to something. Yeah. Right? So we did it. And funny that this weekend went the way it did, because there was a uh, one of those years we played Morgan. They didn't get the ball back for the entire third quarter. We onside kicked it every time they did not get the ball back. That's wild. So it was <laughs> right. But, you know, things like that, you know, John Bosey, we learned a lot from, you know, yeah. the run game and. Yeah, there's some good guys up here, too. You've quit. I mean, you're pretty young. I mean, a lot of coaches start out pretty young, but it, it's when I watch you coach out there and talk to these kids, you know, and the way they respond to you, it seems pretty much like you're – I was talking to Pete a little about this. I mean, you're kind of you, – I don't want to say you're a player's coach, but you relate to them maybe a little bit more than right. a lot of other coaches do. Um, what do you say? I think, uh, you know, Jack Wilson always says to me, He's like, you know, this is almost a team that's run by players. You know, we got seven coaches, five of them played here. Yeah. You know what I mean? So we kind of know what it's like to play here, right? And, you know, some of them as recently as, you know, Ethan Roy is the youngest, but he uh, came out in uh, 2017. Was He graduated. So that 26 records last year was, you know, his last year. So – you know, these guys being here, they kind of know what it takes to walk in these hallways, you know, to lift in our weight room, to get ready to play a game at Pearson Park. They're a little bit jealous. You know, it's a it's a little bit better atmosphere there now than when they played here, certainly from when I played here. You know, we used to have a Cromwell Growers truck, a big box truck with a table on top. That was our press box. And they just had the rope. You know what I mean? And that was it. You know, we used to pick up rocks on Fridays before the game on Saturday off the field. That was the the humble beginnings, man. But we just wanted a seat at the table, right? Yeah, we, we're going to play some football. We don't, we don't care where we play, right? And it's like 38 guys, goal line to goal line, pick up as many rocks as you can. Practice is over. Right? Like, <laughs> and that was it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's been a quite the climb, though, right? You know, now you guys are kind of entrenched. There's a target on the back of the program. But I remember you and I talking last preseason, and uh, I've interviewed a lot of coaches in my day, and I had interviewed you numerous times before. But we talked in the preseason, and you looked at me, and you were like, we have the best linebackers in the state, and we're 
probably going to win a state title this year. <laughs> and I was like, I was, wow, it's August, and he is really like, I'm like, is he confident or is he kind of borderline and cocky? That's and then a no no for coaches. Right. That's yeah, a no no for coaches. But you don't want to hear it. So you were so confident in the group and the way that you explained it because they all played in 19 when they were freshmen or sophomores. And so you had all this returning, but I mean, what is it that the kids did or, you know, that you saw that, you know, made you confident in this group and obviously in the group that you have this year as well? I mean, I knew a lot of guys. When I talked to other coaches, they would be like, we don't know what we have yet. And that was just something, you know, as early as like, you know, April, (laughs) you know, uh, the year before, you know, we were doing workouts and the seniors didn't think they were going to play when they were just letting us work out during COVID. So they weren't showing up. So we just got time to do these workouts with Teddy. Brunk. We would go to Portland for an hour, work those guys out. Then we would drive back to Cromwell for an hour and work those guys out. And we did that up until October when it started getting dark earlier. And then took a month off. And then in November, we went into ATI to train. And it was just, you know, Jarvis Miller, one of my mentees, uh, you know, he was a Penn State UMass guy. Yeah. He was his his pro day was two weeks after we got shut down for COVID. Oh, wow. So, you know, these guys got to watch a guy work out every day, twice a day, go run hills with him, go do drills with him at the sandpit at one of the parks in Cromwell. He would come to Cromwell, he would work out with these guys because I think they motivated him just being hungry and, you know, vice versa. He was just teaching them so much. And when we got to the spring, uh, New Britain, Isaiah Bodie reached out to me and asked that we want to do a seven on seven. And it was just us, New Britain and Farmington. And I mean, these guys were just floating, right? And they just, they didn't lose, didn't lose a game. You know, we played both of them. We didn't lose a game. And then we went to Southern's seven on seven tournament and we lost to Capital Prep Harbor early. And then we lost to Maloney twice once it was in the championship. And I mean, I'm looking, we're the only class at school there, you know, but I got there late. We had already beat Nogi. Then we beat West Haven. And then we beat Stratford in overtime. It was just like, all right, I got to start giving you guys your credit. You know what I mean? Because and I always told them, I said, even in April, I said, if we're good like this now, we need to continue to work and imagine where we can be in August. Right. Let's hit the ground running in August. And, you know, thank God we did because we opened with Morgan. You know, they they were a playoff team. You know, we had to go down there and play those guys. And, you know, that could have easily, you know, set us right off 0-1. You know, Drew Nye, you know what I mean? But those guys, they just put some work in. And, you know, we were uh, – Jack Wilson calls our linebackers the best linebackers in the state. So I might have just been feeling that energy from him because it was like <laughs> – awesome. we, <laughs> we would, like, watch them play, and he'd be like, they're the best. They're the best. And I would just be like – I mean, Teddy would – I mean, we've seen what Teddy did that season. I, he just – he was doing those things in the, in the summer. You know, uh, that that Stratford game in overtime, it was the whoever gains the most yards, that was overtime. You know, we go first, Colt throws a fade, and Ted catches it for a touchdown. It was like, all right, I didn't know we could do that, right? And it's just like, 
right, so once I see you do something, that's kind of the expectation here, right? So you you can't be a guy that goes out there and you're mossing guys, and then when we need you to do it in the game, you're not doing it, right? Everybody's relying on you. We kind of just put that, I guess, as pressure, but, you know I mean, those expectations on you. You got to lock in and you got to do whatever you need to do to get yourself there. You talk about Steph Curry a lot. You know, guys like that, Pat Mahomes, like where they get in this zone, right? And I'm like, you have to get yourself there to where you're clicking on all cylinders, right? It can't be a sometimes thing with you, especially if you're going to be a guy for us, right? Because there's going to be a day where, and you've seen it Friday night, where Valley says, not today, Ryan Rosick, and they double teamed them and triple teamed them. And yeah. Someone else has to step up, you know? So we, we talk about those things all the time, you know what I mean? We got to you got to get yourself there. You got to get ready. Tell me about this, your your guys this year. You know, obviously, you know, we could go on and on and uh, you know about you could go about the, the last year's team was great. You know, winning that title. Yeah. I mean, just the look on everyone's faces to do it there, small school program. But you know, now now you're on the mountaintop, right? And now it's like you only lose a few guys. You know, some good guys, all state caliber yeah. kids. But you were like, I think we're gonna be okay. But then you know, you guys a lot of adversity to, to fight through this year. Tell us a little bit about that. Right. I mean, early on, I think, like, we – they're high school kids, and I get that. But some days, like, if we don't get to go out and practice and then we play in a game and then we win the game, they kind of think that's the precedent, right? Like, we don't need to practice every day. <laughs> and then it becomes this thing, right, where it's like, guys, we, we need to get better. You know, like – I respect Mark Basil, right? Like, I know he's not going to come in here and just like, have no game plan, right? He's going to be prepared for you. These coaches are going to start preparing for your weaknesses, right? So you have to constantly be working on those things. And I think it just took, I, I said after the game, our young guys, you know, 23 and 1 to end their youth career. Then they join this team, and it's like, they don't think losing is possible, I, you know? So they, you know, trying to get them to understand, you know, the details and the small things that matter. Um, Johnny Beltre is definitely a guy that, you know, he's out at practice early, right? And he's out there before everyone else and he's working on his back pedal. And then Derek Wilson might come out and then they start working on back pedal and breaking. It's funny because that play at the end of the game, I mean, those are all things we practice. You know what I mean? Like he's standing with the receiver, guys pressing him. Uh, he rips off outside, right? Thing we do in practice all the time with the DBs. And then the summer we do a drill, I'll, I'll refer to it as the oblique drill, right? Where you run up and now the quarterback's going to throw it and you got to get back on a 45 degree angle. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we practice those things. And for him to come up in that moment, you know, it just like, I couldn't hear, right? We're at Pearson Park. I played in the Cotton Bowl before, right? <laughs> I'm like, I couldn't hear. We were at Pearson. I was yelling at guys to get back, and I'm like, we couldn't hear. Like, it was just that that crazy. I'm so happy for him. I'm so happy for Derek Wilson. You know, he was a soccer player. He started uh, all 13 games for us last year at safety, and now, I mean, he's going to be a college football player. You know, this guy is – I mean, there's a play in the game where, you know, they get our DN reached. They did some misdirection, and Jean-Pierre is going left. And, I mean, they got David Weston reach. They get up to Ryan Rosick. He's got the entire outside. Derek Wilson sprints up, tackles them for a one-yard game. Wow. Right? When everyone was wrong, you made them right. 
Like, it's just an amazing game to watch. And I sat on it for a day before I put it on. But, like, I was just amazed, nigga. These guys are really learning how to play the game. But, I mean, Mecca is, you know, he's a dog. You know, I mean, eight sacks last year. Um, you know, uh, not having Alex Hare this year kind of hurts him a little bit. You know, now he's the focal point. He has to learn how to play as the focal point on the D-line. Um, right. But nonetheless, making huge plays. Um, Alex McKiernan has stepped up. You know, I mean, his first two starts, semifinal state championship last year, I keep trying to tell him, like, your experience will come. It'll carry you through. But you're at, like, nine starts. You know, Ryan Rosick is at, you know, 31. You know what I mean? Like, you have some time to catch up before you're doing what he can do. You know what I mean? But, yeah, those guys, man. They great. I I thought your O-line as a unit was very, you know, you had had to run a methodical – clock killing drives first of all you got to get the tds the two of them to go ahead then but they didn't make a mistake i mean there might have been one i didn't see it um and then obviously cole brisson just the general basically you know keeping the and the only time you got it was just a great play that they made they got him the ball back but you almost ran the clock out on him but i thought your offense your defense played great but i thought your offense was really just the way they were stoic and really just they knew exactly what they were doing. It, it was impressive. It was a sight to see, Coach. really yeah. was. Yeah, they, they definitely leaned on each other in those moments. And I think it was just us being calm when things weren't going well early. I think that helped them a lot. I think the halftime speech to, you know, some of you guys were here at Rocky Hill last year. We were down the same way. We know what to do. We got to come back. Y'all leave it all out there. And, you know, they kind of ran out of there ready to play and, you know, Miracle onside kick. Johnny Beltre hits uh, the guy going to recover it, and we get the ball back. You know, Johnny was just all over Friday night. And, yeah, just just some huge plays, man. Huge plays. What? Got a couple sacks. <laughs> Quickly tell me about – I know I wrote about him a little bit, but tell, me, tell us a little bit about – just a little bit about Cole. You know, I mean, how far he's come and, you know, what's the, what's the future look like for him? Yeah, I mean, Cole is just, you know, Cole's dad played at Central. You know what I mean? And I remember his freshman year, you know, those guys. We were going through it, man. We lost eight straight. And there was just a legendary speech after film, like, don't take this for granted. Don't take this game for granted. Like, you know, your dad played the game. You know, he went to school. He met your mom. Like, the game has changed your family's life. You know what I'm saying? Don't take this game for granted. And, I mean, just he goes to Def QB coach. You know what I mean? He worked yeah. on his game a lot. Uh, you know what I mean? And he came back, and it was all of a sudden, it was like, whoa, <laughs> this kid's pretty good. And he just, he just, he knows the offense, like, inside and out. You know, if I call the play wrong, he can be like, you want to run it to this way? Should it be this? And I'll be like, yep, you got it. And, you know, sometimes he'll be like, let me run a Fitch. I mean, a Fitch. Uh, hitch the Ben Fagan. You know what I mean? And I'll be like, well, if you want to do that, we got to get it done, though, right? Yeah. And he just does those things. He's just super confident, uh, you know, doesn't have a problem, you know what I mean, getting guys lined up right, telling them what they need to do, you know what I'm saying? We got a lot of young guys, so, you know, emotions come in, and he might be like, you're going first, you're, you know, because the freshmen, they don't really understand it yet. So he's just – we call him the general for a reason, and, I mean, just super accurate with throwing the ball, um, 
you know, his his opportunities range from, you know, uh, FBS walk on all the way down to Division three. He's really not sure what he wants to do. Um, you know, he likes a lot of the small schools. You know, I'd love to see him play in that Trinity because, you know, it's an easy trip for me and Trey to get out <laughs> yeah. there and go see him, you know. So, you know, but he likes Cortland. You know, he, he, you know, he went to Brown this past weekend. You know, we're just we're excited for him, man. I know it's been a lot of pressure on him. That's why he said he doesn't like to talk about the streak, you know, and he would have liked to have been signed or, you know, committed somewhere before the season started. So, you know, just my hat goes off to him for coming in here every day and leading us with all that going on in the background. You know, he's a 4.0 kid, you know, just a great kid. What um, what's the situation? I mean, Alex, yeah, we you were hoping you'd get him back earlier, but it looks like he probably toward the end of the year. But I mean, he could have come back. Is that right? Alex, here you're running back. Yeah, well, they they told us uh, three weeks after the Granby game, I think. So three to four weeks after that game. So. Yeah, he was he was itching to get back out there after the Granby game. I said, well, "How hard know, is it going to be for him to come back?" Close ones like that. How hard is it going to be for him to come uh, back? I mean, we'll we'll see uh, where we're actually going to use him if we just use him on defense or if he can do both. You know, um, I'm sure he'll tell us. You know what I mean? But this we got this two headed monster right now with McKiernan and Yearwood, and it's like. Throw Alex Hare into that mix if he can run, you know what I mean. If he can do Alex Hare things with the ball again, I mean that would be awesome. Uh, we could definitely use his help on the defensive line. You know, what I mean, just a strong kid, five hundred pound squat kid. You know what I mean? He's yeah, we could use him. You know, one of the one of the uh, um, or a couple one of the interesting things to that game, and I Mike Demora brought it up, was that there was a you know there were you had two black head coaches and you had a black head referee. You know, how significant is that? I mean, I, I didn't really – it didn't dawn on me until afterwards. You know, Reggie's one state chances. You have Outlaw, Outlaw up at the uh, uh, Bloomfield. Bloomfield. And, uh, yeah. you know, a lot of guys. But, you know, I, I don't know. Where, where do you – I mean, do you think there's there's probably room for a, a lot more? I mean, what do you think? Just like Hill, Hill got hired going into last year. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that was the first time I had gone against another black head coach. I've been the head wow. coach for five years. You know what I'm saying? So it was just like, wow, this is different. And I said that to him when we met at midfield. And now it's just kind of like I text him after the game. I said, wow, we did that. You know, I sent him the screenshot of the tweet and I said, yeah, we just did that. You know what I mean? And it's uh, it was a huge game. You know, I, I went against Coach Millage at Capital Prep earlier that also had a black referee as well. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, it's. It's awesome to, you know, be able to match wits against guys that you respect, you know, regardless of race. Um, I think, you know, playing tie in the state championship last year, you know, I wouldn't have had it any other way. I, I mean, it was just it was, it was fantastic to, you know, in 16, we went to Bloomfield and we beat Bloomfield. And I mean, they had uh, was it Russell Thompson Bishop? Yeah. And uh, uh, Dex. It was the quarterback, awesome. and I mean, for us, yeah. So for us to win that game was like, wow. And then to get another shot at playing them, you know what I mean? They they don't take years off, right? No. They're always in the mix, <laughs> right? So it's like when our season starts, we know you know, you got to circle certain names because they're going to be in the mix. I think the years, all the years we made it to the state uh, finals 
or we just got knocked out. It was Ansonia. We saw Ansonia some of those years. You know what I mean? Like my senior year, the year after we beat them in the semifinals, 08, we beat them in a championship. 16, they beat us in uh, the semifinals. So it was like, you know, they had been a cog in my side right, for a long time. So it was just like, all right, like, We'll 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 uh, see these guys for sure. We know we have to prepare now in August and September. If we're not prepared for them, there's no way you're going to beat them yeah. come December. You do not get ready for Ansonia in a week. Does not happen. Oh right? yeah. You have to be trying to beat them from September with all your actions. Well, I know Tom Same does. Goes- Tom goes out to all those games. You know, he's he saw plenty <laughs> of your games. I know that. I've seen him at Pearson Park many times. Yeah. Yeah, I see, I see him at uh, Chicago Sam sometimes before when we would be some of my early years, we'd be scouting. He'd be like, I'm heading over to Rocky Hill. What do you think? So I'm like, what you guys doing out here, man? <laughs> we don't want to see you guys over here. Only when we need to. But, yeah, I mean, Tom's a guy that, you know, I used to in my early days, I would see him at a UConn game, and I would ask him, like, how do you get those guys to play hard all the time? You win so much. You know, how do you get them to play hard all the time? And, you know, typical Ansonia answer. He's like, well, we didn't play good. Uh, we scored yeah. nine times on 11 plays. So I'm like, <laughs> that's Tom. That's Tom for you. <laughs> right? right? So uh, I just like, I mean, there's a lot of guys I have respect for out here, man. And, you know, to be able to do this, I mean, the stress of just coming in every day and trying to get these guys with all the things they have going on, going in the same direction is enough. Whether you're winning or not, look, those guys that win all the time, and my hat goes off to them, kind of learning, you know, what that stress is about and what that stress is like. Getting back to that, are, are there enough kids who, you know, you know, black kids who become want to become coaches, or do we not hire enough in, in Connecticut? I mean, are there? I mean, I know that they, there seems to be a little bit more of awareness now, especially you know with the, I guess they have the uh, the coaches minority oh, coaches. Yeah. Thank you, the association, Connecticut, the Connecticut yeah, yeah, yeah. minority coaches. Right. You have Derek's Connecticut. High School Black Coaches Association, which is out on Twitter, you know, I didn't even think about you and Ty together last year. I didn't even dawn on me. So I don't know. I, I feel like an idiot. I should have been should have noticed these things. But, um, you know, I feel like uh, there's certainly a lot more. Uh, there's there, there's certainly a lot of room where we could have definitely a, a lot more because most of the sport, especially in the NFL, they're you know, you know, played by African-Americans, you know, so. Right. I, you know, I mean, Connecticut's been pretty good, but I mean, I'm sure that, what do you think? Do you think there should be room for improvement I, or? I, I think, you know, me being like visible now as like a head coach here, it's kind of sparked some guys to think like, you know, I could, I could coach too. You know, I see a lot of guys that I worked with in the past, whether it be the Belzos who were Middletown guys, now they're coaching over at New Britain. You know what I mean? Damian Rabus is a kid at uh, St. Paul. He played at Springfield College. I went to a, a St. Paul game a couple of weeks ago. He's coaching on the sideline. So it's like, I think the greater impact we have in coaching guys and helping guys out, you know what I mean? It's going to make them fall into, you know, doing some of those things that we're doing. You know, Dario Highsmith was a guy that we had in our program uh, early, my uh, program training kids. You know, him, Isaiah Tompkins, and now Dario's a coach down in Atlanta, you know, helping guys train and stuff like that. So it's cool to see that impact in those guys, whether they coach here or not, just getting out and giving back some of the things you learned, man. Uh, I would like to see, uh, you know, uh, more African-American coaches just because I know there's a lot of qualified guys out there. You know what I mean? And just thinking about being like, you know, 
one of, I, th- I can't remember, it might just be me and Hill, the only two African-American coaches at like predominantly white schools. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. when you think about that, that's where it's like, uh, yeah, we could be doing better. Right. We, I don't know if we necessarily need a Rooney rule, but no. you know what I mean? But we got to get guys that want to take those jobs. You know do you what I'm saying? A lot of guys, coach, do you see a lot of guys out there trying for jobs or, or that needs to improve? Maybe. I don't know. Is there? I think everybody kind of tries to coach like either you're going to try to coach, you know, at one of the bigger schools because you want to be in like the winning and stuff like that. Or you're kind of just going to be back at your old high school. I don't know too many guys that are just like, I'll go coach at like for me, I wouldn't I wouldn't think to ever go and coach at Derby. You know what right. I mean? Like somewhere far or something like that and have to commute all that distance. Um, I don't know. But one thing I always notice at your game is is your son and you and your son are really like attached at the hip. It feels like or it looks like. I mean, how nice is it? I mean, one, you know, uh, what is your son's name? Because we see him all the time. And then two, you know, how special is that to to have him? He gets to hang out with the players. You know, you hold him in post game interviews, and he's always like high five and everybody. I mean, how special is that for you to have him being a part of all this, all these great things that you guys are doing? I mean, it's awesome, man. I, I think uh, early on, like me playing so far away, you know what I mean? Playing down south, playing in Philadelphia, I never had the opportunity to have my family at every game. You know what I mean? So now, you know, my wife is at the games. You know, she brings Trey unless it's too cold. But I think now he's not going to sit home and not be at a game. I mean, he loves these guys in the summertime when he, he goes to daycare twice a week. Those other three days, he's with us in the weight room. You know what I mean? And he's doing the ladder after the guys finish doing the ladder. He's running up and down. the He just does everything he sees. He's a sponge. He soaks it up. So it's just awesome to, you know, just have him. You know what I mean? You walk in the house and daddy, daddy, and he comes running in. And, you know, I brought him to uh, the UConn-BC game Saturday. And, you know, he's sitting on the, the bleachers next to me. And all of a sudden the crowd cheers. And now he's learned to clap. You know, when the crowd cheers and it's just like, all right, you're picking it up, young fella. Right? <laughs> like, but I mean, he's a he's a fan favorite here. You know what I mean? Everybody loves him. Uh, he gets out of the car at practice and he just comes running onto the field. Uh, I think he was right handed and he just watches Cole throw and now he's lefty, too. So, <laughs> I mean, so it's like, yeah, he's just. I mean, he's awesome, man. He just turned I, two. He's 38 and a half inches. Oh, my God. So it's like. Wow. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, where, what do they say? Doc, what are you talking? Seven feet? <laughs> yeah, what do they say? How how big? Because your wife's tall, I, too, right? They won't give us a straight answer. Yeah, she's 5'10". Right. So, I mean, I'm hoping 6'9". Wow. I, I would like him to, you know, be a hooper. Right. I'm like, I got to do enough football. Let me spend my later years watching basketball a little yeah. bit or something like that. But, well, I see but, you at every game, coach. You're at St. Joe. You got them with you there. But you're because you 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 designed a lot of your team last year on what St. Joe does. And that's the thing I kind of take away from what you, you mentioned, Brockett. I mean, obviously, Joe's been there. You, you, you have reverence for what he does at St. Joe. Um, and now you're like yeah. kind of making your own. I mean. I mean, I know you got a long way to go, but, you know, you win another title here, and this is a tough class double S division. Uh, you know, now you're right. going to be up there. People going to be looking at you going like, you know, how do I be like that guy? So, I don't know. It should right. be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. 
my yeah, my hat goes off to those guys because you know we we don't really know each other, but that doesn't stop me from getting on huddle and requesting you know St. Joe's and Sony a game a couple years ago, and he sends it right over. You know what I mean? I reach out to Fleet, and I asked him for the two St. Joe's games they had last year. You know what I mean? He sends it right over. You know what I mean? So just giving us the opportunity to learn, just to see how they're moving. You know, not so much, you know, taking plays from these guys, but just to see how a good operation is working. You know what I mean? How these guys, you know, don't hang their heads when something bad happens, right? Just trying to give those little tidbits of information to my guys so they know how to carry themselves out there. But, yeah, we we have some good coaches here, man. Shout out to Coach Marinelli at uh, UConn. He uh he definitely helped us out in the in the uh winter. We went up there and uh he helped us out with a couple plays and stuff like that. So, you know, it's it's good to see, you know, just this effort of getting Connecticut football to a better place. You know, starts at the top, starts with Coach Mora and you know, you're seeing that trickle down. It seems like everybody's playing like, you know, this hard nosed brand of football this year. You know what I'm saying? And that's like that's awesome. We have all these quarterbacks doing great. We have a lot of great players at college level. I mean, it's – we used to say, like, don't sleep on Connecticut. But, you know, I I don't think you need to say that anymore. I think we've proved ourselves plenty here. Yeah, but it's it's not even at the D1 level. I mean, I've been paying attention. My fiancé went to Western New England, so I keep an eye on their football team because there's a lot of Connecticut kids. And who do I see? Captain quarterback Bryce Carstetter. I'm like, I remember him. You know, but like it's like even yeah. I teach at Southern now. I went to Southern. There's a lot of Southern, like a lot of Connecticut alum, uh, high school alums on that team, and I see them around campus. And like, it's it's really great to see. It it really is, and it's getting. I mean, it's great, like Sean said, but it, I feel like it's getting better every year. Right. Yeah. We keep we keep plugging away at it. Keep doing things. I know the, you know, we do the the coaches clinic, and we gotta, you know start getting these guys together more just outside of that one weekend and really start to build and, and learn things from each other, you know, because I, I locked myself away for a year and I don't think I really talked to anybody, you know what I mean? And then I came out and I was like, I got the best linebackers. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, guys didn't really know me. Like, who is, the, who is oh, this guy? You, you know what I'm saying? Fever. So, yeah, COVID. <laughs> COVID fever, yeah. But, Not the real yeah. fever, but yeah, it all was, right. Uh, it was, it was, it's, 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 it's getting better, you know, and if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. So the fact that it's getting better, you know, it's, it's really awesome. Coach, we could go on all day. It's a pleasure having you on. I mean, uh, you know, you've obviously, are, you know, you guys have been playing great. Uh, you win us title last year. We'll see if you guys could do it again, but so far so good. Uh, I know you got a long way to go, nice. but you did an awesome job so far. You know, I mean, you got a model program right now. We have so much that we could talk about. We'll have to get you back on another day. Uh, but uh, maybe after you win a title or something. But uh, all right. Well, we appreciate you coming on and, and giving us some time. And, you know, we've got everything picked up. But uh, thanks a lot, Coach. And uh, we'll, uh, we know appreciate we'll see it. you the rest of the way. Thank you, Coach. Appreciate, <laughs> it. appreciate it. Thank you, guys. That was Randell Bennett. A little bit on the long side of our interviews, where we're getting longer and longer every week with Sags and him now. And, uh, you know, but it's just fascinating what he's done over there. And, uh, I mean, you know, we could have gone on forever. Yeah, I mean, long interviews are usually good because we had a good time. We had a great time, and there's a lot to go over, uh, you know, with Coach Bennett and and you know how the program has gotten to this point. So it was a very informative interview. I liked it.
Yeah, no, it was we were on it, so of course I liked it. But right. you know. hopefully, you guys all stuck around for it because we're right now. We're gonna give you. We're gonna again. We're gonna rip through this. We're gonna rip through the the current state of the playoffs right now. And uh, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, if you listen to the podcast a lot uh, over the last few weeks, you know I cannot stand six divisions. I hate it. I think it's awful. It's everybody's get in. If you look at the standings, I'm gonna just say it right at the top. You look at the standings. Most of these teams are in if they are two law we only have three games left basically if they are two or uh if they if they're three games away from you then uh you're pretty much in you are in for most of these and it takes completely this next month out of the season it completely just takes the fun or the excitement out of it it's more like it's for seeding and it's more like the nfl which is we're not the nfl but i don't know it's just a mess anyway so let's just start off the top here's class double l pete Southington 7-0. I mean, you know, at number with, with the eighth place being Richfield, three losses. Uh, Southington is going to be in at 7-0. They're tied, actually, in points with Greenwich at 6-1. So that means Greenwich is basically in, too. Um, I don't have the official on these. These are never official, but they're in. They're in. West Haven at 7-0. They're in. Hamden 7-0. They're in. Staples at 6-1. I'm looking at the rest of the schedule. West Hill, Richfield, Greenwich. They're in. Trumbull is basically 5-2. This is where it starts to get a little sketchy. Trumbull in the mix, five and two. Fairfield Prep, four and three, with a big win over Shelton in uh, in the James McGrath game. I, Jeff went out there. Jeff Jacobs went out there and did an amazing column on what on just a great community spirit on uh, the death of James McGrath, who died tragically last spring. Uh, it, you know, in, in just an awful situation. Jeff did a great column on it. I can't even do it really justice. He was there, but uh, you know, the McGrath family in attendance, everyone wore blue. Looked like a very beautiful night there over at Shelton. But uh, Fairfield Prep now coming on now. They got a bunch of big wins. They beat Cheshire. They beat Shelton now. They got Notre Dame this week. Um, you know, and they got North Haven and West Haven. So by no means are they are they done. But at, set, at seventh place with Ridgefield, Glastonbury, and really, realistically, only those two, maybe Danbury. If Danbury beats Greenwich, maybe. Uh, I think Prep is in a good spot. Trumbull's in a good spot, too. I think it really is just going to come down to whether Glastonbury can keep up with everybody. Ridgefield plays Trumbull. They're going to knock each other off. Staples knocks off Ridgefield, you know, in Ridgefield play. It's going to be, it's it's a little odd there. I think Prep's in a fine spot. So that's double L. In class L, St. Joseph, 6-1. Maloney, 7-0. Naugatuck, 6-1. Newtown with their, with their win over Barlow, 6-1. Got a lot of points. New Canaan, despite losing to St. Joseph, 6-1. That's the fifth place team. Uh, they're all pretty much in. Darian, four and three, I still think has an inside track because they play Norwalk, they play McMahon, they're going to get points, and then they play New Cannon. At, I, realistically, at least they're going to have, let's just say New Cannon beats them. You know, I think six and four is going to get Darian in. Uh, really, so, and it's only up to really Cheshire with, with Shelton, Xavier, and Southington left. That's no, that's going to be tough. But, and it's also up to whether Shelton can make a run in here. They're at number nine right now. Cheshire, Notre Dame, West Haven, and Xavier. The, ironically, the SEC plays this great tier one schedule, but because of that, all the SEC tier one schools are all kind of in dogfights here for playoff spots, where the rest of them are not. It's a little annoying, Pete. Yeah, it's like you're punishing them. Like it's the system, one system for the SEC is completely different for the system for the state playoffs, and it just doesn't make any sense. It's great, and I love it. It's great to see all these great teams play each other, but 
it can't be sustained like this. You know, these are some of these are good teams, and they're just knocking each other off. The SEC needs to relook at this. Um, the other team in this in the Class L division may, might be Middletown at ten with a shot. So, I mean, I think Ward in there at number eight with a win over Danbury, but Ward still got to play Wilton, New Canaan, and Ludlow. Ward is the one I would worry the most about here, and then you know Sheldon I think would be fine slipping in there unless Middletown decides he wants to beat Weathersfield and Berlin to end the season. So that's where we are with Class L. Class Double M's is SMSA, Northwest United, which won. Uh, Pete, you were at that game. Bullard Colby, interesting, you know, fun game. North Haven is number three right now, but they got hand in a pretty big game there this weekend. Um, and Prep, and then Amity. They usually beat Amity, and that Prep game is going to be huge, provided they beat hand this week. They got to get past hand, which is fighting for its own spot, maybe. If we'll take a look at that quick. But Killingly, Thames River, Weathersfield, Massick, that might be your playoff field right there uh, with one spot or maybe two spots left if North Haven falls off the map. Guilford, which plays foreign this week, is getting a lot of points. Platt, which has a shot here, Ram, Bloomfield, Maloney. But, you know, if it starts losing games there, it's going to be tough. And then maybe even Yale Smith and Cheney Tech, if those teams lose. Fitch, I think, might have won't be getting enough points. And then there's Windsor way down there at 13. All those teams are fighting for basically one or two spots. That's really tough. Plastable M is you know, getting tight real quick. Um, Class M is just a mess. Berlin, Nordane, West Haven at five. And Nordane, West Haven at five and two is the two team, is the number two team in this rankings right now. And it's just, they're go- if they lose the rest of their games, they're probably going to get in anyway they- and finish at five and five. Three is Law, ATI, Ram, Rockville, East Line. And that you, these teams, East Line, beginning here at seven, East Line, three losses, Harford Public, three losses, Woodstock, three losses at nine. Then you have three and four, Alignment Hall, number 10. Uh, if you're up here and you only have two losses, you're in great shape, which is make basically most teams. Class oh, double please. S uh, is Wyndham, Cromwell, Portland, Foreign, Barlow, Valley Regional, Rhyme, Lime, five and one is in a good spot. They have Crack, Old Saybrook, Stafford left, and they also have HK to end the year. Uh, Ledger in kind of a tight spot. They got Wyndham this week, New London, and Fitch. That's going to be tough. They're at number seven. Gilbert, it's got a pretty easy road there at number eight. Then you have a bunch of other contenders below that. But uh, those ones I mentioned up top, Wyndham, Cromwell, Portland, uh, Foreign, Barlow, Granby, Canton, all in good spots. Even Valley Region, I think, is is good. Again, this is going to be kind of a mess for the seven and eight spots. Uh, And then finally, Class S, Ansonia, Holy Cross, Woodland. All those teams are playing each other. Woodland and Holy Cross are actually playing this week. Um, then you have Bloomfield, which I think is good enough to win all of its games. Even Windsor at the end there, they're going to be fine. New Fairfield has a few games left. We have Newtown left and Northern Fairfield. But and I think the Rebels should be okay. Seymour has got some toughies left. Ansonia Woodland. It, it becomes a little bit more of a mess higher up here. But that's where we stand kind of right now. You know, you have HK, Waterbury Career. It kind of falls off too, though. I don't know how many of these teams are going to be able to climb into that eight spot. So that means if, like, even if a Bloomfield or a Woodland or a Seymour lost or even New Fairfield lost, they're going to be fine because the teams below them, you're looking at Oxford is three and four at number 11. So there's your class, there are six division class playoff spots. You know, again, I hope everybody's happy. Uh, everyone's in, it's everything's great. And uh, I don't know, Pete, it's just, man, it's stupid. I mean, I, it's so lame to say, but like the quarterfinals aren't even going to be worth going to. 
Yeah, I was talking to some coaches this weekend. It's like the quarterfinals are going to be blowouts. I'm like, as opposed to like the last setup, there were blowouts even before that. I'm just the final, the end of the day, the scheduling needs to be smoothed out. SEC teams can't all be knocking each other off. Uh, we need to fix some of that. Uh, the schedules are our most important thing. It's like it's, it's not adding playoff teams or adding playoffs. It's about fixing the schedule. If we can get something in that regard, we can go back to four and, you know, be fine. But anyway, uh, so there we are. That's basically it. If you have two losses, you're in great shape. If you have three and in, in maybe M, you know, you're still in good shape. So, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, it's, it's a little bit different, Pete. In the uh, in the NEPSAC in the in the prep schools over in the NEPSAC, I got to see the biggest game of the year in in the prep school world, which was Choate Loomis Loomis coming in on eight game win streak dating back to last year's loss to Choate. Uh, they were the the team that everyone was pumping up to be the best team in New England. I mean, do you remember we talked about the uh, Loomis Avon Old Farms games to start the year? You know, and uh, what can I say, Pete? Except you know, the, I've been to too many of these games in the past you know six years covering Cho and covering some of the next NEPSAC games in the Founders League now uh come to to Cho to come to Wallingford JJ Marr Field looking to push Cho around and saying that they're the best team and they walk out and so it's always Cho Cheshire Academy in 2016 uh you know St. Thomas More even though they did beat Cho that one year but they they took them two years to do it but it always seems to be somebody coming in here they that that wants to knock Choate off, and it's always Choate that it, it wins. Shout out to Pearson Hill, the Hopkins transfer. He was at Hopkins, played great. He won a Metro Independent League championship for them there. But you know he's he's kind of small at about five eight. He's listed at five eight. He might be even smaller than that. But the kid plays big. Uh, he stepped in for Ben Wable, the Cheshire running back who got hurt two weeks ago against Avon Old Farms. Uh, they needed a guy to, to run the ball. They thought they could do it even against a a, a, a defensive line that was giving Avon all sorts of trouble. Well, Hill comes, steps in, and he looked like Barry Sanders out there. I mean, he played bigger than he is, 5'8", and just slipping through tackles, knocking guys down, scored two touchdowns early before Loomis even knew what happened, and then they just turned it over to the choke defense. Now, it got a little hairy at the end. Quarterback Dante Reno, the son of Yale coach Tony Reno and a South Carolina commit, finally gets Loomis Chafee's offense in gear, but it started with a block punt by Nate Cobry, leading to a short Reno touchdown run. And then after Ben Wabel busted loose on a long run down to the Loomis 14, Quincy Briggs made this amazing interception at the five, and Reno led Loomis 95 yards the other way. And on fourth down and two, threw a 12-yard touchdown pass to Chandler Coe to put Loomis ahead 15-14 with 1.27 left. The problem now was Loomis didn't help itself out. First, Coe gets a little too giddy on the touchdown. He mocks Choate's Harrison Keith by offering him the football and then gets flagged for unsportsmanlike conduct. And because Choate's return game is so dangerous, Loomis coach Adam Banks then had them pooch the kickoff. And all of a sudden, Choate's got the ball at the Loomis 42 with 117 left. And from there, it was a pitch-perfect two-minute drill. Choate gets down to the 20-yard line where Jackson Carroll... Quickly hits Hill at the 15. Hill gets a nice block and then launches himself from the four-yard line and drops the ball over the goal line. He's 5'8", but played more like he was 6'6 on this day. Choke goes nuts. They tack on a fumble return touchdown as time expires on a, just a great 
26-15 victory. An amazing performance by LJ Spinato's Wild Boars. They now have the inside track on the overall New England Championship Bowl game in three weeks. They got to beat Trinity Pauling, and they got to beat their rivals Deerfield in the 100th meeting of that game. Uh, so just a, a great, great effort by Choate. Here's Pearson Hill on his touchdown run, Captain Harrison Keith on the legacy, and, of course, Coach Spinato on his team's effort. Yeah, it was awesome. It was a lot of fun. It's a great team. Coached, coached well by a great group of guys that I'm, I'm very close with, so it was fun to do battle with those guys. Uh, and it was great to see our kids overcome some great odds, and you know, it was tough to see us give up the late touchdown, but then even better to see you know, our kids execute a nice little two-minute drill right there. So, Quarterback did a good job realizing the defense was in position. And then I saw Weibo also at running back telling everyone to hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. And then me and Jackson just linked up. I didn't even run uh, my full route. He threw it, stopped there, and then was able to make some more plays. What's it like to weave through there? I mean, how do you do that? Is it all desire? Just, you just like... Uh, no, I, I just see angles. When the angles presents itself, I take them. When we found out he was coming here, we were, we were so excited. You knew about him, though, right? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. We've been trying, I mean, we've been trying to get him here for a couple of years now. Um, so we knew we knew very well who he was. Um, and then the minute he got on campus, um, he's, he's an outstanding man. He's, he's a great kid, um, you know, not just on the field, but off the field. Um, he's a kid you want in your locker room, um, and we're so thankful that he's, he's on the team. And obviously, you know, you can see that at the end of this game, we, uh, you know, he helped us out a little bit. <laughs> we, we love that stuff, um, you know. We don't want to be the team that everyone talks about. We love being an underdog. Um, we always talk about it. We play our best football um, when our backs are against the walls. Um, and coming into this game, all the hype was for Loomis, same as last year. Um, in the beginning of the year, it was Avon Loomis, you know, biggest game in New England. Um, you know, we handled Avon, and then we came in here, and we handled Loomis. Um, so, I mean, we don't have all the we don't have all the big time, you know, four stars, five stars, and all that stuff. We don't need it. Um, we've got a great culture here. And we try to protect the house, but, you know, I, we were talking about them being the evil empire and everyone in the league, you know, not wanting to see them go undefeated. And, and I love it. I love being, you know, that our boys are always the underdogs. Um, but, you know, our boys have consistently done a good job for a lot of years. So they're, they're, they're sticking to the tradition of being together, sacrificing for each other and playing as hard as they can against big time opponents. With all that said, Pete, what do we got on the PD page views? Pick them podcast. All right, well, right off the bat, like we always do, we're starting up in the CCC, and we got one versus two, seven and 7-0 Southernton heading to Falcon Field with 7-0 and Maloney Spartans. In the CTC, we have 5-2 and Cheney Tech. The Beavers are going to Thames River to face the 6-0 and Knights or Crusaders. Uh, then in the ECC, Wyndham on the board again. They're 7-0. and The Whippets are playing the Colonels, who are 6-1 and from Ledyard. Uh, the FCAC Ridgefield four and three coming off a win this week. They're going to Trumbull to play Hunter Agosti and the five and two Eagles in the NVL. Another great matchup with Holy Cross six and one. They're going to Woodland to face Woodland, who is also six and one. Uh, biggest test of the year for Woodland, though, for sure. In the Pequot, we got 0 and seven Coventry going to play 0 and six Old Saybrook and Westbrook in the SCC seven and 0 four and on the road to play Guilford 5-2. and two. Remember, Guilford beat Law, who was also undefeated at the time in the SWC. 4-3, and three, New Milford, Dona Bunnell to play the 4-3 and three Bulldogs. Both teams still playing for playoff life, potential playoff life. Uh, then we got Notre Dame West Haven 5-2. and two. They're going to prep. No one is as hot as the Jesuits are right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the SEC, maybe even the state. And then 
the last game of the week, five and two Ward going to place Wilton, who's five and three. This is a huge game for Ward to keep those playoff hopes alive. So those are the 10 games we have on the board this week. Ward ever been to the playoffs? I don't think so. Nope. So good for them. They have the division set up for that place. <laughs> it's tough. I mean, they had a tough, like we met, it's, they got a tough road. You got to win yeah. some games here. And, uh, you know, losing that game to McMahon two weeks ago was really hard. Uh, now yep. they got to beat Wilton. They got to beat New Canaan. And then, you know, Ludlow is the team. That game could go either way. But the big one is they got to beat New Canaan. You know, they're going to end up, they lose, they lose Wilton, I think, to bring much over unless they close the last two. And even then, yes. you know, I think Shelton's got a good shot, too. So, uh, again, but it's, uh, you know, it'll be interesting. But for the rest of it, everyone else can kind of take a break from Class L. But yep. thanks a lot, Pete. That looks pretty good. We've been on here long enough. Thanks for sticking around if you have uh, this far. Uh, let's get out of here for people Bog and Sean Patrick Molly. This has been the Meat Grinder on Game Time CP. Happy Halloween. Goodbye. Love you all. <laughs>